you? Good, alhamdulillah, how are you? I'm good. How's your Ramadan? So far, so good, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Did you get a chance to go for Tarawih? No, I'm, you know, when it's in the winter and I can go at six o'clock, that would be great. <laughs> I always go to bed. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny because, yeah, we're, as Muslims, we stay up really late. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like that at all. I would rather get up at four than go to bed at midnight. By the way, how did you, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how many Ramadan is this? This is my 10th. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. Oh my gosh. This is my 23. I started fasting when I was 10. So yeah, this is my 23, but it feels different than last year. (laughs) Why? (laughs) A little bit. um, I feel it more. Last year was a long time for Mm -hmm. everybody, I guess. <laughs> and the whole idea about Ramadan is like to gather over iftar or tarweeh. Oh yeah, because we're all cooped up. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a convert, it doesn't really change much for you because <laughs> you're alone most of the time anyway. No, tell me more about this. Well, if you're not culturally of the same culture or the same family as the people that are born Muslim, then you don't get, you know, invited into that circle very often. So you're often Mm. spending Ramadan alone. This is very hard. Uh, Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten used to it. But did you, I mean, you do have a small circle of people yeah, but they've, I mean, a lot of them have moved out of the state. A lot of them are, have little kids to take care of, so they don't really want to do things that often, which I understand. Um, it's just not that easy to get people together, even in a small circle. True. Yeah, I mean, Ramadan is very different. For me, the first time I moved to the state, maybe in 2011, was my first Ramadan. Mm-hmm. I felt like it's not Ramadan, <laughs> what it used to. Is Ramadan oh, yeah. is more like, um, uh, how can I say it? Uh, it's a camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything is uh, packed in few days, uh, very hyped <laughs> people. <laughs> it's Ramadan, it's the time, let's do this. Yeah, your whole country shuts down <laughs> to, hand, to do Ramadan. We don't do that here. We're kind of on the fringe, so we don't get that kind of um, organization to it that you guys do. Yeah, I think in Muslim country, the experience is very, very different. And honestly, I learned so much about Ramadan after coming to the state to like strip Ramadan from all this cultural stuff and just focus on... Mm-hmm the true essence of Ramadan just do your best try to reflect mm-hmm. and what else what else do you do during Ramadan what do I do um, pray a lot um, I try to do volunteerism 
Um, I read the Quran. Um, what else do I do? I try to make amends if there's anything I need to make amends for with people. Um, I pray for other people a lot. So, Mashallah. that's about it. <laughs> and yeah, I go to bed. <laughs> it's, you go to bed pretty late. <laughs> uh, when is it start time in um, Chicago now? 7.52 last night. Oh, it's a little bit early here in Boston. I'm in Cambridge, actually. But yeah, a little bit earlier than that. But still, it's late. I mean, by the time you break your fast and you're really full, you can't fall asleep. <laughs> no, you have to kind of walk it off first. And then it's, um, yeah, it's... That's the hardest part for me during Ramadan, the fatigue. It's the food and the drink, you get used to that in like three or four days. And then you're just tired for 30 days. Right. You get used to the fasting. People start like ask you, I don't know, in, uh, in my circle, uh, I'm taking online classes. They're like, not even water? Not even water. <laughs> but you get used to it pretty much the first week maybe yes it doesn't take long to get used to it but did you i mean you do have a small circle of people yeah but they've i mean a lot of them have moved out of the state a lot of them are Mm -hmm. have little kids to take care of so they don't really want to do things that often which i understand um it's just not that easy to get people together even the small circle True. Yeah, I mean, Ramadan is very different for me. The first time I moved to the state, maybe in 2011, was my first Ramadan. Mm-hmm. I felt like it's not Ramadan, <laughs> what it used to. Is Ramadan oh, yeah. is more like, um, uh, how can I say it? Uh, it's a camp. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything is uh, packed in few days uh, very hyped <laughs> people <laughs> it's Ramadan it's the time let's do this yeah your whole country shuts down <laughs> to, hint, to do Ramadan we don't do that here we're kind of on the fringe so we don't get that kind of um, organization to it that you guys do I think in Muslim country the experience is very very different and honestly I learned so much about Ramadan after coming to the state to like strip Ramadan from all this cultural stuff and just focus on Mm -hmm. the true (laughs) essence of Ramadan just do your best try to reflect Mm -hmm. and what else what else do you do during Ramadan what do I do? Um, pray a lot. Um, I try to do volunteerism. Um, I read the Quran. Um, what else do I do? I try to make amends if there's anything I need to make amends for with people. Um, I pray for other people a lot. So Mashallah. that's about it. <laughs> and yeah, I go to bed. <laughs> it's, you go to bed pretty late. Uh, when is it start time in um, Chicago now? 7.52 last night. 
Oh, it's a little bit early here in Boston. I'm in Cambridge, actually. But yeah, a little bit earlier than that. But still, it's late. I mean, by the time you break your fast and you're really full, you can't fall asleep. <laughs> no, you have to kind of walk it off first. And then it's, um, yeah, it's, that's the hardest part for me during Ramadan, the fatigue. It's the food and the drink. You get used to that in like three or four days, and then you're just tired for 30 days. <laughs> right. You get used to the fasting. People start like ask you, I don't know, in, uh, in my circle, uh, I'm taking online classes. They're like, not even water? I was like, no, not even water. <laughs> but you get used to it pretty much the first week, maybe. Yes, it doesn't take days. long to get used to it. Awesome, awesome. So, Trisha, the whole idea of the podcast is to like uh, talk to Muslim women uh, about anything, pretty much, <laughs> uh, and share stories of like success and maybe things around anything in life, STEM, or maybe we can talk about your field. You're a lawyer, right? I am a lawyer, but I don't practice law. I have a business strategy and diversity, equity, and inclusion company. Wow, mashallah. What, what do you do in your company? So we help uh, minor- women in minority-owned businesses to be really successful. So we do um, basically like business coaching and consulting. And then we also do um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting for middle market to really big companies. Hmm. And that would include like starting the business from, from the beginning? Like if, the, if those do, who don't have any experience? Usually we are, we are not working with what is called startup companies. Okay. Um, they're usually a little bit more seasoned and experienced than that. They've been around for a little while. Um, that's a whole, you know, when you're a startup company, they don't really have any money to pay anybody for what I do. <laughs> so we don't do that. We don't work for free. Mm. Someday when I retire, we'll be happy to work for free. My dream is to, to retire in France and start an incubator for startups specifically aimed at North African um, Muslim, Muslims that live in France. Wow, I didn't know about this. So your dream is to like uh, move from the state, like yes. eventually. Yes. And Trisha, you're for those who don't know you and can't see us, just listening. She's white American woman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. Is that right to yes, say? I'm I'm very very white. Like can't even go into the sun white. Um, yes, then I'm a convert. I converted in 2011, actually, when you moved, moved here. Um, I converted on July 31st and Ramadan started on August 1st. So this is my 10th. Mashallah, you started fasting like in... <laughs> the day after I became a Muslim. Yes. <laughs> subhanallah, subhanallah. Time flies. I can't even. Ten years, mashallah. Yeah, it does fly. So you, your business, uh, tell me more about the consultation. 
for businesses to to be diverse, I guess, and include. Oh yeah. So um, most companies, well, most companies in almost every country, I guess, all the white dominant countries are. They have they have not enough women and minorities in leadership. Um, and that translates all the way down to the rest of the organization. So um, we help them figure out how to make sure they're being equitable with their employees, um, with minorities and women especially. So are they making the same as white men? Um, are they getting promoted at the same rate? Are they getting ranked this, at the same levels? Um, are they getting the support they need to be successful? And then how do we help companies find more diverse talent? Uh, and finally, how do we create cultures inside companies that are much more inclusive to people that are not white males um, so that they can have a better experience while they're there. So that's what we focus on. Wow. The last part seems very like, how, how can you change the culture of the company? Well, you have to be very intentional about it. So um, we basically do assessments of what their culture is currently like and how people are are experiencing that culture and then we decide based on that what we need to change in order to get it to what we want it to be which is we want everyone to reach their fullest potential here we have to make sure that we've got the infrastructure and the way of being and the way of treating people that is inclusive enough for everyone to have the best experience so you have to sit down and talk to Yeah, we do interviews and focus groups and surveys and we review HR data to figure out where they are currently. And then we figure out what their gaps are and we, and we help them fix them. This is really great. I mean, uh, um, I know many places that you don't see a lot of diverse people and they said, we're struggling. How can we? How can we do this? So basically your uh, your company is really helping a lot of people to get to the workforce. Yes, I hope so. MashaAllah, amazing. And is there a specific standard for companies to, to say that, okay, we are diverse. We have people from different backgrounds. Well, um, there isn't really a standard, but you want your company to reflect the communities you're living in. So if we're in Chicago, let's just take Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, uh, probably a little bit more than 50% are women. Uh, a third are white, a third are black, and a third are, let's, I'm just doing general, don't, get, don't be specific. But mm -hmm. um, a third are Latino or other ethnicities. Most companies are not a third black, a third white, a third Hispanic other mm. and other ethnicities. So there's always a lot of work to do. And certain industries are worse than others. Like in like you're, you're in nursing. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's usually a very diverse um, industry. Mm. But what's happening at leadership? Like who are the <laughs> leaders? A whole different story. <laughs> yeah. It's the same in almost every other industry. Even female or ethnically mm. diverse uh, workforces, the leadership is not, it doesn't reflect the people they're leading. And so you're never going to get your best possible firm unless that's the case. 
And it's not only that, it's more about like one of uh, my colleagues, she did her PhD about bullying among nurses. And she looked at data uh, from a hospital, a big hospital in, in Boston. And there's seriously major issues if mm-hmm. the leadership is not diverse. They don't understand. They don't understand the whole story. Yeah, they don't. And it's very, very hard for leaders to be able to assess their own cultures because they're in the culture themselves. And it's just very hard to do that. You need someone else to assess it from outside that would have, would see way more than you can see yourself. Hmm. Oh, Bless you. <laughs> Springtime. <laughs> Even though I'm I'm home, I'm, I locked myself. I closed all the windows, but still. Okay, uh, so um, so why did you why did you change? When did you start this company? In 2013. You saw the need that there is something to do, and um, Mashallah, you brought your expertise. Yes, I, I did this work with my old firm. Um, I was with a global advisory firm for the first 17 years of my career, 16 years, and um, decided to do it outside as my own company because I actually thought I could have a greater impact than I could as a partner in my own firm. So, Was it risky to start? Yes. <laughs> it was absolutely risky. People thought I was crazy. Um, but you know, from I'm, your old, uh, from your old firm, when you yeah. I was, I'm grateful that it worked out. It was a rough couple of years, but I'm grateful that it has worked out. So if you started in 2000, you said 13. Yeah. So it's been almost seven, eight seven. years. Okay. So it was a bit, it was very hard the first two years or maybe more. Yes, it was hard the first two years, for sure. How did you manage, mashallah? This is big. I didn't know that you have. Um, I, I mean, I just, I just kept moving forward, kept meeting with many people to see if I could make, you know, you kind of have to network heavily mm. to meet the right people and be able to communicate what you're trying to do really effectively. Um, Worked very hard. Uh, spent as little money as possible. Yeah. And um, so let's go back about the work that you do. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure like part of the minority groups are Muslim women in workforces. Yes, but I don't see many of them in corporate America. I will tell you that. Um, so tell me more. Uh, what's the demographic? Well, it's a lot of women. Um, Muslim women are, you know, my experience, let's just put it that way, is mostly in, uh, I mean, there are obvious exceptions and they're amazing people. Um, Mm. But most of the Muslim women I know are in, are not really in uh, corporate America um, or businesses. They're they're in, you know, education. Mm. 
um, or medicine or they're not, they're not, I'm not really running across them very much. And maybe healthcare somewhere in healthcare. Yeah, big time. So what, what kind of, uh, what do they need to study to be in corporate America? Oh, all kinds of things, accounting and finance and economics and marketing and, um, development, um, HR, there's all kinds of things. And I, I do know a few HR people that are Muslim, but there's a lot of things. It's just, um, going into the private sector. There's a, there's a million things you can study, um, But most of the, most of the Muslim women I know are in the public sector, like nonprofit organizations and colleges and stuff like that. And actually, I don't know. I'm just thinking, um, not the majority, but maybe like a, uh, many of the Muslim women are from. <clears throat> second generation or third generation. So I'm just thinking why they're in public, but uh, maybe this is what they're used to in their circles, but to, to go in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's, it's just perceived by Muslim women, especially hijabi women, um, that, they're not going to be welcome in the corporate sector. Um, but I just see almost none. I mean, I can count on probably two hands, the Muslim women that I know in, in business, like corporate. Mm. And I guess, I guess the environment is not, I'm just thinking as a hijabi, But as a hijabi Muslim, what would be the things that I want in that environment? Well, you want, I mean, um, the things you'd have to be careful of. So when I, I mean, I'm not a hijabi, but when I was in a corporate, you know, a, a giant firm, um, I needed the time and the place to pray. Mm -hmm. Um I had to be able to avoid alcohol because there is alcohol um, at parties and gatherings and stuff like that, happy hours. Um, you obviously can't have pizza with pepperoni when they bring lunch in. <laughs> um, what else? But, you know, it's how you're perceived. People don't want to be perceived a certain way. And I think... Um, hijabi women are perceived as standoffish and kind of in their own circle, but not in the rest of the world. You know, that's kind of how they are viewed, even though that has very little bearing on reality. Um, you know, one of, one of my, one of the women that works in my firm is a hijabi and she's also got a big dynamic personality and is an amazing speaker and coach and everything else. Um, and she has said to me that she never thought she would have the chance to be in corporate America doing the work that she's doing with us because the perception of her is so different. So she spent most of her life in, in nonprofit land with um, mostly Muslim organizations. 
um, like you can do whatever you want. You just have to, you just have to basically um, dispel the perceptions people have of you. And you do that very quickly. So, and you know, there, everyone has perceptions of everyone. People mm-hmm. have perceptions of me when I come somewhere. Um, our first impressions can easily be challenged by the way we show up. And I would encourage all Muslim women to be exactly who you are in those spaces and challenge what people's perceptions are of what being a Muslim woman is. That would require lots of confidence <laughs> and lots of discussion, even among the Muslim community, honestly. Yeah. But you, it also, you know, you can do it with support too. Mm. You know, we have to support each other in doing what we most want to do in the world. Hmm. Um, so what did you study? I studied economics and finance and I went to law school and I, I kind of took mostly business law and tax law classes. Um, and I've also got a coaching certification now, which I got, you know, last year. Um, that's about it. I read a ton of books, but that doesn't count. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How did you decide to, to do like to go uh, into law? Is this what you planned since you were a child or do you have somebody in your family? I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't have any lawyers in my family. Um, I got really interested in economics when I showed up at college. I knew I was going to go to law school, but I didn't have a major. I didn't have an econ major until probably the first semester. Um, and I loved it. It was complicated and um, changing all the time. And I liked that. Um, and law, uh, law, I had a great tax professor in law school right away and fell in love with that because it's complex and constantly changing. <laughs> um, where so did you went up... to your, uh, sorry, where did you went to your undergrad? Where? Yeah. Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Mm. I was at the time I graduated, there were only four women in economics <laughs> in my in my major. <laughs> Four in the whole, in the whole, oh my gosh. No, just in the econ major. So out of like, I don't know. Out of how many? (laughs) Maybe about out of 600, there were only four of us that (gasps) were women. Oh my God, 600 (laughs) now? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, I I can't even. (laughs) (laughs) They're minority, definitely a minority. Whoa. Yeah, and you know, I don't know what the numbers are now, but I know the leader of the whole department is female now. So hopefully it's getting better. So lots lots of change, yeah. Do you deal with any um uh like conflicts and things like that in in workplaces 
Mm-hmm. All the time. So I call that a culture intervention. Mm-hmm. Where there's a lot of, you know, groups of people that feel like they're not getting fair treatment or there's conflict or the leadership is not inclusive. And we come in and help them change it. But this is a very difficult discussion from the beginning to speak up. And... Yes, I love having difficult discussions. <laughs> because difficult discussions are usually the ones that most need to be had and are the ones that actually move you from one place to another instead of staying where you are. Oh my gosh, you're very passionate about this. <laughs> As your friend, I can tell, but yeah, it's, uh, mashallah, your personality, I mean, you always speak up, <laughs> no matter what, even if the people like around you will be like, oh, maybe that's all right, you'll be like, no, it's not. <laughs> mashallah, mashallah. Uh, so, uh, as we said, it's uh, very difficult uh, to start with, but um, I guess if um, management is like open to the discussion, that would make it a little bit easier. Yes, and I'm really not getting in, I'm not really getting called into organizations that the leaders don't want to do something about it. So keep that in mind. I'm not convincing leaders to do something about it. Mm. Um, I haven't been asked into those companies. So it is mostly working with companies that know they need to do something. And I help them figure out how. Okay. And what would be the benefits of, I mean, this is obvious. I mean, if you have a smooth good work environment but what would be the benefit of having a diverse um other than as we said to uh, like um have a different perspective um having um, by the way i'm not a phd <laughs> i just read the data from phds and um the data says that if you focus on creating inclusive cultures where people feel like they belong and can do their best work every day and get where they want to in their career path with you, you will experience a 798% increase in all kinds of metrics related to business growth and retention and all those important things that our, our leaders are being measured on over a 10-year period. 798% increase. More diverse teams create about a 17% increase, you know, right off the bat with regard to business growth, revenue growth, bottom line profits, etc. Because if you put all of the same kind of person in a room with the same kinds of backgrounds and thought processes, it leaves you with blind spots because you didn't consider all kinds of things because you're all thinking the same. And if you change that up and have diversity in those teams, you have less blind spots and more innovative ideas and stuff like that. This is the exact same thing. I mean, I'm asking you just because I wanted you to say this. (laughs) But but in the healthcare system, um, 
yeah, and maybe not nursing. Nursing is very diverse, and actually, many of the nurses are uh, from different countries, from Philippines, from uh, African Asian countries, other countries. So, um, and even I, I mean, we have uh, a Hispanic nursing association, have African American nursing mm-hmm. associations. So it's very diverse, but still, if um, the workforces was not as diverse as this before they had trouble with discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the patient, they're not comfortable to go to a provider who doesn't look like them. Mm-hmm. They feel like they don't feel <laughs> the same. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the data is showing us this is important. This is not just yeah, I mean, in the cool. medical, I know less about the medical industry than than mm-hmm. you do, but um, from what I understand, there you have a, you have a very multifaceted problem. You have what's happening inside, you know, the healthcare um, industry. So, what? How are you treating each other? Who gets promoted? Who gets retained? All those kinds of things, because you do have a lot of diversity. And if you're not handling it well, then it's just either bleeding out, you're, you're losing your diversity, um, or it never gets promoted into the highest ranks. And then you have, how do, we, how do we provide treatment that is inclusive to patients that show up in all kinds of ways? And we are not, you know, from what I've heard, you're not doing such a great job in that industry. Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, Black women that present with pain are treated completely differently than mm. white men that present with pain. Um, and must, much of their symptoms are discounted if they're black women. Um, we need to do something about that, obviously. So that, that's what I would call inequity. There's inequity in how treatment occurs in the, in the medical industry, at least in our country. Um, that also happens with women versus men. Women um, are often discounted and um, told that it's in their head or whatever. They're not really taken seriously when they show up for something. So th- you have like, bo- you know, two different problems. What's happening with how we treat patients and what's happening with how we treat each other? Yeah, yeah. And that, all of that reflects on the health disparities that we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Other question. <laughs> uh, so, I know, mashallah, you're very active and you do a lot of community service. What's your drive? Um, what 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 causes me to do it? Yeah, I know it's a strange question, but <laughs> I think there's just so much need. If I can be useful, I'd rather be useful. Um, I hate to see people suffer. And I want to do something about it. You know, one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest problems with our culture is that we're so individualistic that we're very isolated too. And I think loneliness in our country is probably off the charts, especially in the last couple of years with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And it shows up medically, right? Anxiety and depression and all these things. Um, because our culture is, has got an issue and we aren't fixing the culture. We're just throwing medication at it. Um, 
actually even worse than depression, anxiety, drug abuse, and everything else. Um, so if there's ways I can make people feel like there's someone out here that cares about them and is willing to help them through whatever they're doing, then I want to be that person too. Mashallah, mashallah. And, and there is a lot to be done, <laughs> not only in the Muslim community, but all over. I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, my experience, not in Saudi, but here in America, I've seen a lot of community work that is really strong, powerful, uh, supports the whole community even better than what the government provides. Or the city provides. Yes, that is one. That is actually a very positive thing about Americans. Um, we're a pretty giving culture, hmm. and we don't because we can't, frankly, rely on the government for a lot of things in this country, like healthcare. Um, we do step up quite a bit to help people that are falling through the cracks. And that would bring the whole sense of community and maybe bring us closer to each other. Yeah, hopefully. Inshallah. Okay. Uh, do you have any other things you want to talk about? I just want to say Ramadan Mubarak to everyone who listens. Yes, inshallah, Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you for your time, Trisha. This is wonderful. Thank you, Akdab. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Take care. Bye.